during the reigns of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness, and God's kingdom will stand forever. Welcome to the end. Research indicates that here in Australia, spirituality is not dead. And yet we see many churches that are more empty than they used to be before. And the question is, why is that the case? Why is it that us Aussies are very spiritual people, but not necessarily church attenders? What's gone on with church and what's wrong with it? Why is it that so many people have developed a church allergy? Well, you know, when we look at what has happened in recent times, it's not hard to see where many people have been hurt, damaged, even abused within a church situation. It's not hard to see why they would become somewhat you know, disillusioned with the whole institutional experience. And yet for others of us, we love church. It's the highlight of our week. It's where we find community and friendship and association with each other. And above all, it's the place that we worship God together. So what does the Bible teach about church? Is it necessary to go to church to be saved? What's God's stance on church? Where did the idea even originate? Well, you might be interested to know that church was something that was invented by God. In fact, if you go all the way back to Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 3, the Bible says, Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest, a holy gathering together. And so way back in Moses' time, people were encouraged to gather together for worship on the Sabbath day. Jesus belonged to a very dysfunctional church. In fact, his local congregation once tried to kill him. But if we go over to Luke, uh, Luke chapter 4 and verse 16, Luke 4 and verse 16, we find this statement right here about Jesus. Luke chapter 4 and verse 16, the Bible says, And he, Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read the Bible. It was Jesus' habit to attend a place of Bible study and worship on the Sabbath day. And if we go over to Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, we find this very important statement that refers to our day. Hebrews chapter 10 and going down to verse 24, the Bible says, Let us consider one another and provoke each other to love and good works. That sounds like a little bit of a different kind of provocation than we sometimes see in churches. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is. Notice what Paul says not to do. Don't stop gathering together. And it continues on and exhorting one another. And so much more as you see the day, that's the day of Christ's appearing, the second coming getting closer. Now, of course, we're not saying that if you are being abused in church, and you are being hurt and damaged by that congregation that you don't need to find somewhere else. But what we are saying is that this is a concept, an idea that was invented by God. It was invented for our good and for our benefit. So many times I've had people come to me and say, you know what, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. And that's a true statement. 
I just haven't seen anybody yet who has successfully pulled it off over a long term. You see, it's a little bit like a fire. If you have a nice blazing campfire, maybe you're sitting around it toasting some marshmallows, but if you take one coal out of that fire and put it by itself, what happens? The coal goes out. And it's the same with us as Christians. We can continue to glow over there by ourselves for a period of time, but eventually the fire will go out. Well, will church save us? Why do we need it? I'm going to introduce to you a concept this evening called the visible and the invisible church. Now, this is not something that I came up with. It dates back to the great theologians of the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century. And in introducing this subject, we're going to go over to Matthew chapter 22. And we're going to look at two different aspects of God's church. Matthew chapter 22. Have a bit of a Bible study here today, so I hope you all have your Bibles with you. Here's a parable. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who made a marriage for his son. And he sent out his servants to call those that were invited to the wedding. And they wouldn't come. And he sent out other servants to tell those which were invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and other food are killed and all things are ready. Come to the marriage. But they made light of it, went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and treated them badly and killed them. When the king heard this, he was angry and sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those that were invited were not worthy. Go into the highways and as many as you find, invite them to the wedding. So the servants went out into the highways and they gathered together as many as they found, both bad and good, And the wedding was filled with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which did not have a wedding garment. You see, he had provided a special wedding garment for everybody who attended. And he said to him, friend, how did you come in here? Not having a wedding garment. And he was speechless. And he said to the king's servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away and throw him into outer darkness. What a fascinating parable we have right here of a wedding feast. There are a couple of key thoughts that I would like to draw out of this wedding feast. And the first is this. You have one individual who has come into the wedding feast and he has not put on the garment that was provided for him. Now that garment in the Bible is a symbol of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But he is in there He doesn't have that garment on. He is an unconverted person. He has not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But you have to ask yourself the question, why was it that the other guests didn't see that and throw him out? Why was it that the angels didn't see it and throw him out? Why didn't the security at the door with their wedding list see this guy coming in, not wearing the correct clothing and refuse him entry? The answer is very simple. The only one who could see that this person was unprepared to be at the wedding feast was God. And the reason for that is that the only one who can tell whether you are saved or lost is God. 
We can make a very high profession of salvation. We can attend church. We can look good on the outside. We might even go to church and sit up in the back pew and look out over the congregation and say, well, you know, maybe that one's a wheat and that one's a tear. That one might be saved and that one might be lost. But the reality is that we simply don't know who is saved and who is lost. It is a judgment we can never make. But when the king comes in to see the guests, the Bible says that he can see and he sees exactly who is saved and who is lost because God and God alone can read the human heart. And that's why we call this aspect of God's church the invisible church because this is God's church that is made up of those who are saved. The Bible says that Christ is the head of his church. If we go over to Ephesians Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 22. So Galatians, Corinthians, Ephesians, where are we? Right here. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 22, the Bible says, And he has put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all and in all. The Bible describes God's church as the body of Christ. And as the body of Christ, the body of Christ is made up of all those people who are truly converted in their heart. God knows who is a part of his church, his invisible church, but we don't. And that's why we say it's invisible. We can't see it. But every person who is converted is a part of the body of Christ. How do we join this church? Well, if we go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Beginning in verse 12, the Bible says, For as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. How do you become a member of the body of Christ? How do you become a member of this invisible church that is made up of people who have received salvation? The Bible says you become a member of this invisible church by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And of course, Jesus described the work of the Holy Spirit as being invisible. He said, it's like the wind. You can see the evidence of what it does, but you can't see it working in process. We become a part of it by baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, who belongs to this particular church, this aspect of God's church. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, it says, But you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn of Jesus Christ, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. When we consider the invisible church, we find that God is a member of this church. The angels are a member of this church and every saved person is a member of this church. But once again, we need to remind ourselves that here on this earth, we can't see that. And it's within this church, the invisible church, that we find salvation. Let's go to Second Timothy chapter 2 and let's read about it. Right here, Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 19. The Bible says, 
Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure, having this seal. The Lord knows those that are his. Of everyone that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says that God is the one who knows who belongs to him. And so when we talk about the invisible church, we are talking about people who are saved of all faiths and even of no faith because we are not the ones to judge. The invisible church is made up of all those who are followers of God. Okay, clearly we need to be part of this group because this is where salvation is found. But does that mean that because there is an invisible church, that there is not a visible church? Well, how would you define a visible church? Very simply, something that you can see. I can go along to my local congregation, I can see all of the members of my local congregation, and I can see the building in which they worship and where they find community together. Now, as I go to that local congregation, it's going to be a little bit different. There is going to be a crossover between the visible church and the invisible church. Because there are going to be some in the visible church who are not in the invisible church. Because while they make a profession of being a follower of Jesus Christ, they have not received his gift of salvation. Let's look at some verses in relationship to this. You see, the very next verse from where we read right here in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 19, where it says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure, having this seal. The Lord knows them that are his. The next verse says, But, whenever you get that word, but, you know a contrast is coming. But in contrast to the fact that there is an aspect that to us is invisible in a great house, the Bible says there are, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, good ones, but also wood and earth, bad ones. In a great house, in a great church, in something that is physical and visible, you're going to find a mixture of both the good and the bad, the saved and the lost. So why would we have anything to do with such an organization? We need to find out. Let's look at this a little bit more closely. Matthew chapter 22. And verse 10, let's go back over there and let's read about the kingdom of God. How did Jesus describe the kingdom of God? We read it a moment ago. There's something else here that I want to highlight for you. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 10, the Bible says, So the servants went out into the highways and the byways, we read this a moment ago, and gathered together as many as they found, both bad and good. That is what God says. God says, The church on earth that is visible, that everybody can see, is going to be made up of both good and bad. Well, why have a church that is made up of good and bad? You see, friends, that's actually the point of church. The whole church, the whole point of church is that it's kind of like a hospital, And there's no point in building a hospital and not inviting unwell people into that hospital. And to go to church and to complain, well, there's hypocrites in this church or there's people in this church that are, you know, really acting like human beings. 
To complain that way is a little bit like going to hospital and saying, well, I've never come here because there is sick people in this hospital. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? But would we like it if we got rid of all hospitals? Oh, there's sick people in hospitals. So let's solve the problem and let's eradicate hospitals out of Australia. Is that going to fix the problem? I don't think so. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 47. There are many passages that we could look at on this. Matthew 13 and verse 47, the Bible says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of all kinds. And when it was full, they drew it to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels and threw the bad away. A little bit like a fishing net. The Bible says it's thrown out into the sea to reach out and to pull in as many as possible. But when it does so, yeah, not everyone that is pulled in is going to be good. And I'm going to give you an example this morning of a visible church. Let's go over to 1 Corinthians. Now, of course, the church in Corinth, that was a visible church, wasn't it? You could go to Corinth. You could see the church there. You could see the members in that church. You could see everybody who professed to be a follower of Christ. You could see every person who had publicly professed their decision to be a follower of Christ by being publicly baptized by water. You see, the Bible speaks about two kinds of baptism, and the Bible says that they are both just as important as each other. But they serve very different purposes. The Bible speaks about baptism by the Holy Spirit, And the Bible speaks about baptism by water. Jesus says you need both to find salvation. Baptism by the Holy Spirit is the converting, changing power of the Holy Spirit coming on your life. And baptism by water is your public confession that the Holy Spirit has done that work within you. One is about salvation. The other is about setting an example and calling others to that salvation. In 1 Corinthians, we find a letter here that Paul writes to the church in Corinth. Baptism by the Holy Spirit, something that is invisible. Baptism by water, something that is visible. Every person here had received baptism by water. But did they all receive baptism by Holy Spirit? In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, just in case you are wondering, Paul writes his letter, Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth. Sometimes I have people come to me and they're like, oh, my church is terrible and give me a long list. And so I'm going to, you know, just, it's just terrible. Well, I've yet to find someone who goes to a church as bad as this one. But yet it is God's church. Why is it God's church? Not because of what is taking place within it, but because of the message that has been entrusted to it. Notice what it goes on. Paul sort of launches straight in in verse 10. He says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions amongst you. Uh-oh. This church is divided. They're arguing over who they are a follower of. Are they a follower of Peter or a follower of Paul or a follower of Apollos or whoever it might be? In fact, in chapter 3 and verse 3, he says, For you are yet carnal. Now that's strong language. That's a word that Paul uses to describe people who are unconverted. 
So he writes to this particular church and says, hey, you're all unconverted because there is envying and strife and divisions amongst you. You're unconverted. You walk as men. That's what he says. Well, let's do a quick tour of the book. Chapter 5 and verse 1. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. That's perversion, serious perversion, and it was openly practiced. Chapter 6 and verse 6. It says, brother goes to law with brother and that before unbelievers. They, they'd sort out their problems in the courts. We can continue on from there and they have problems over food offered to idols. They have problems over gifts of the spirit. They have problems. The problems just go on and on in this church. Let's go down to, hmm, let me see here. Chapter 11. When you come together. In one place. This is not to eat the Lord's Supper, he says, for every, for in eating everyone takes before his own supper. One is hungry and another is drunk. This is the communion service. And they are totally abusing the communion service, which is supposed to be the most solemn ceremony, remembering, commemorating Christ's death on Calvary. We could continue on. Chapter 15. There's another one here. Let me see. The Bible says, verse 12, Now if Christ is preached that he rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there is no resurrection of the dead? False doctrine. Here we have a church that is riddled with problems, riddled with divisions, riddled with false doctrine, riddled with immoral practices, fighting each other in the courts. Here's a church with serious, serious problems. But God calls this church his church. He refers to it as the church of God. Why is that? Because of the message that has been entrusted to it. Now, thankfully, there aren't that many churches that are like this. Maybe you've experienced one. I don't know. I've never come across one as bad as this one. In fact, for me, church throughout my entire life has been the highlight of my week and the one thing that I've looked forward to more than anything else. As we consider these two aspects here, And we find an example of a visible church. We ask ourselves the question, why is it so important? Well, we begin by noting God created the concept of gathering together for church. Jesus set us the example of going to church, even though when his was rather nasty. Paul commanded us and said, don't forsake the gathering of yourself together at the end of time. It is within the visible church that evangelism takes place. In the invisible church, salvation happens for you as an individual. In the visible church, evangelism happens where you as an individual go out and reach out to others around you. To say, well, I'm just going to be part of the invisible church and I don't need to be a part of a congregation. Really, in many ways, is a selfish approach to Christianity. It's like saying, I've got my Christianity, I've got my salvation, I don't need to interact with other human beings, I'm just going to have me and Jesus Christ to myself. And sometimes we we feel like going that way to protect ourselves. But when Jesus comes into our heart, we are filled with a burden to share Jesus with others. And God has given us a framework in which to do so. And that's the visible church. God has given to us 
something very special, something that He knows that we need. He's given it to us because He loves us. He knows that we're human beings and it won't always be perfect. In fact, He knows that most of the time is not going to be perfect. But even though it's not perfect, it's what is best for us and is what it will draw us closer to Him. If you're part of a church, then let's all take the challenge to be part of a community that gives support and nurture and strength to everybody who is a part of that organization, just as God designed that it should be. May God bless you all as you find a community where you can worship God together. You've been listening to The End. For more information about this program or any of this show's free offers, visit www.theend.digital. Thank you.